I'm going to read from James chapter 5, and there are Bibles underneath the chairs. James 5, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. Today is our last message in the book of James. Verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for your word and uh, I thank you for just your truth that we've seen over the last weeks in the book of James. Uh, Father, it is so true that your truth sets free. Um, And that when we live in your truth, that we're living in freedom. And yet, Father, it's so true also that, uh, that we, like it says in these verses, that we wander uh, and we go astray and we uh, forget or we turn away from your truth. And yet, Father, I thank you for these verses that come at the very end of this book that remind us that you're a God of restoration. So, Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would um, help us to become more of a people and individuals that, that, are, uh, that just revel and live in your grace and, uh, and don't hide from you or hide from one another but are so eager to just help one another into the freedom that is in the truth of your word. So Father, bless our time in your word. Teach us. Um, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you a little test to start with. I was going to just state this, but how many of you recycle? I mean, this, if you don't, that's okay. We, I won't make you leave. I mean, and we almost have to recycle now, right? The, uh, but it's a good thing. So this is the question. What percentage of our waste in the United States of America do you think we recycled in 1970? Five, 15, or 25%? How many would say five? Okay, 15, 25, that's good. Everybody knows we weren't too great back in 1970. (laughs) Um, Okay, today, 2015, in case you didn't know where you were, um, what percentage do we recycle? 15, 30, or 45% of our waste? How many would say 15? Okay. 
30? Okay, 45. Oh, we got some people with hope here. <laughs> it's 32.5% today. It was 5% in 1970. According to the... Okay, now don't gloat if you... I could break. My goodness. <laughs> the... Uh, I'll ask another one. You'll get wrong, okay? <laughs> According to the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, recycling today in 2015 uh, cuts global warming pollution the equivalent of removing 39.6 million automobiles from the road. So recycling's a good thing. Um, of plastic soft drink bottles. We should eliminate even drinking soda, Pat, so we don't have to worry about that. But anyway, sorry. 31% (laughs) of plastic soft drink bottles are recycled. 45% of aluminum cans. 67% of major appliances are recycled today. That's great. But there's still work to do. Only 13% of water bottles are recycled. Isn't that interesting? Um, 30 billion water bottles were purchased and 26 billion ended up in landfills. Um, This is the worst one. Airports and airlines, I'm not suggesting you quit flying, but... um, recycle less than 20% of the 425,000 tons of waste they produce each year. Um, Yet there's progress. You know, back in 1973, there were zero curbside recycling programs. Today, there are over 9,000. So... Recycling is good, important, and obviously impactful. I think probably most of us know somebody who recycles other things, recycles old furniture. How many of you know somebody that recycles old furniture, old cars, old houses? The um, it's become an income for a lot of people, or a hobby. You know, I think it's because uh, aside from the impact on the environment, which we're to be good stewards of. Um, there's something satisfying and rewarding about recovering something, isn't there? That's, that's, there's a saying, you know, somebody's trash is somebody else's treasure. <laughs> I think there's something rewarding about taking something that's been thrown away or trashed and turn it into something that's usable, that's valuable. Unless, and this is where we're going to come to James here, unless I think it has to do with a human being. It's a lot harder. A lot harder. You know, a soda can or a water bottle, you know, we can toss into the recycling bin. An old piece of furniture, we can take it and with some glue and sand and sanding and staining. We can turn something that's old and maybe been thrown away and turn it into something that's 
valuable, but a broken individual is a lot harder, isn't it? Um, the brokenness of humans, it, can, it, it, it goes deep. And we know that because we're all broken. <laughs> and we've all had relationships. I was meeting with somebody just this past week whose work is to relate to very broken individuals as we do at the Coffee Oasis many times. Um, individuals who have been raped, uh, individuals who have experienced extreme uh, violence against themselves. Um, and that brokenness goes really deep. Um, not easily mended with glue and, and stain and, and sandpaper, but something that uh, is hard. And as a result, I think a lot of us, where we might be eager to restore a piece of furniture, find it much easier to shy away from someone who's broken and help them to be restored. But you know, in, in Luke 19.10, it's an incredible verse. It says, Jesus spoke and he said, the Son of Man came to seek, meaning to look for diligently, to seek and to save. And the word is sozo. It's a, a common word meaning to restore, to deliver what was lost from the fall. That's why Jesus came, uh, to restore, to deliver, to heal, to save. God is a God of restoration. He's about restoring. Um, I want us just to go through kind of a quick review of James. I'm just going to kind of highlight the things we, we've looked at as we come to these last verses in James. As we, as we look through James, it's, it's, a, it's a practical book of instructions of how to live the Christian life. And in summarizing, starting back in, in verse 1, it talks about how we're to persevere in persecution. It talks about how we're to be doers and not just hearers of the word, not just talkers, but we're to walk it out. It talks in, as we come uh, continue on, it talks about what true religion is. True religion is to care about the orphans and the widows, and it says to keep oneself unstained, pure, in the midst of a world that is very immoral and stained. It's to be individuals who don't show partiality, that could be a hard one. As we are in chapter 2, it says it's to be a faith that works. In fact, we come to the end of chapter 2, and it says faith without works is dead. We can claim to have faith, but if we don't have works, it's really not any faith at all. Uh, we come to chapter 3, and we come to a really hard one. It talks about the tongue and how important it is that we tame the tongue, it says, which, which is just this fire that can burn out of control. Um, I knew that growing up uh, very well. As we come to the end of chapter 3, it talks about the importance of godly wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, that's from above and not from below. We come to chapter 4, and it talks about the importance of godly desires because in within us we all have these selfish desires that clamor for our attention 
and the importance of having godly desires as God has put within us his spirit that cries out and longs for our spirits. And so a spirit that responds to his spirit. As we continue on in chapter 4, it talks about how important that we consider God in everything and talk nice about everyone. And it was kind of a kind of a reflection on the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. and the importance of being people who follow those two great commandments. And then as we come to the end of chapter 5, it talks about how we should live in light of eternity, that we shouldn't be people who are complacent, thinking that we're just what we have, we're satisfied with, or people that, are, on the other hand, are hopeless and thinking, what hope is there? of eternity because life is so hard right now. And then last week, Daniel concluded by looking at prayer at the end of chapter five and the importance of being people ultimately that are people that are, that live in dependence upon God. You know, as we come to the end of all those instructions, and I I don't know about you, but as, as week after week after week, we look at all these instructions for living a Christian life. It might be that sometime along the way that you were encouraged. Uh, Maybe sometimes you were convicted. Uh, Maybe sometimes you were challenged. But I think we come to the end. I mean, week after week, look at these, and we know ourselves. And it might be that we begin to feel kind of like the individual who wrote the old hymn, Come Thou Fount. And in verse 3, this is what it says. and it, it, It's great words. It says, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. And this is the, the phrase that I think, as we come, listen to these instructions and we know our own hearts and our lives, we might say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And maybe that's how you're feeling this morning or as we've gone through this book, it's, God, this is, this, I know my heart and this is who I am. I know I'm, I'm prone to wander. I, I'm prone to leave you despite how much I love you. Uh, I know my heart. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And, and I think that's why James ends his book with these verses. In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, because lots of godly instructions combined with very good intentions, I think can end with lots of failed expectations. Uh, and what do we, wh- where are we then? What do we do? Prone to wander. Does that describe us? As we've looked at all these instructions. Way back at the beginning, it was actually the first, um, first Sunday that we began in the book of James. Um, it was Kayla's daughter, Rooney, on the way to church that described what church was for her. And we've shared this as, as Kayla said, we're going to church. What does that mean? And Rooney immediately said, be quiet, make friends, and don't bite. <laughs> and we, we agreed that was a good summary of the book of James. 
but um, I don't know. How do we do with that? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of times I wish I had been quiet and I wasn't. <laughs> My tongue can get me in trouble. Um, sometimes I'm not very good at being a friend. And there's times when I can bite when I wished I would have, not literally, I want you to know that. The, uh, you know, I, I bit with my tongue and, and hurt individuals I cared about. Um, we talk when we shouldn't. We can be terrible at making friends. We can, what happens? And this is where we are at in James 5, 19 and 20. What happens when we're prone to wander? What where are we then and, and as a church? And as I was reflecting on this, just before we look at James 19 and 20, I think we can become two different kind of churches. I, th- I think this is what we can become when we're prone to wander. Um, one of the things we can become or a church can become is it can be a, come a, a place of condemnation. Um, and the emphasis there is on works. You know, he could have done, he could have done what he should have done if he wanted to. Or rules, she didn't try hard enough. Or, or do's and don'ts, they didn't do what they were supposed to do or they did what they shouldn't have done. Or, and it becomes maybe focused around success, success and failures, you know, they, where I'm a success or I'm a failure because I, I did what I should have done. You know, I... Or, or I didn't do what I should have done. And the result is, and I think this is the, the what, is, what is horrific often in the body of Christ, it could become a place that is dominated by fear. Fear of what others think, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of being real. And so maybe not outwardly spoken, but subconsciously it's a place where everybody, but he's really living in fear. What if people really find out who I am or, or what I've done? Um, I'm reading a book right now. It's kind of a crazy book, but um, but it's a really good book. It's called Bo's Cafe. Have any of you read Bo's Cafe? Yeah, it's. I'd, I'd encourage you to read it. There's a statement that's repeated in the book, and it's powerful. It says that that you'll know that you're in an atmosphere of grace if people can find out the very worst thing about you and it doesn't change what they think about you. Isn't that good? People, people can learn or know the very worst about you and it doesn't change the way they think about you. Well, that's, that's often not what a church is about. And, and so people live in fear in fear of feeling judged. And, and the result is that often or that what we have is superficial relationships and, and dishonesty, hiding for fear of rejection or condemnation. And as a result, we're not people that are growing to maturity in Christ. And there's, so there's just this spiritual immaturity because, and there's this slavery to our desires and perceptions and comparisons and, and, and condemnation because there's not a, a freedom to be who we are in Christ in this atmosphere of grace. And that's the other thing that can happen besides this realm of condemnation is 
the church becomes a realm of restoration. And that's what we're going to see here in James, where the emphasis is on acceptance. You're accepted. It's on love. You're loved. Um, it's on grace. It's 1 Corinthians 15.10, where Paul says, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. Um, and the result is an openness, a transparency, a freedom, and an honesty, and the ability to have deep, real relationships and grow to maturity in Christ because we know that we can be who we are because we'll be accepted and restored together uh, to who we are in Christ. And so, as we come to James five nineteen and 20, we come to James wanting to make sure that the people he's writing to get this point. Like I said, because it's easy after five chapters of instructions on this is how you should live, it would be maybe easy to get the perception that if you don't do this, well, you know, you're doomed, you're damned. Um, your second ray. And so he ends with these words. I just want to read them again. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and he's saying that I have just written you about very in detail, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a brother or a sister, a sinner, from his wandering way will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And I think the heart of what James is saying here, it's good to be a person who brings people back. Uh, I think that's his point. He's saying the heroes of the Christian faith are those who bring back wandering brothers and sisters. God loves those who are involved in the recycling business the spiritual recycling business. Why? So let's look at these verses. And there's two reasons why he says it's, it's, it's so beautiful to be a person that brings back wanderers. The first, notice he says, they will save their soul from death. They will save their soul from death. The, the word, um, like this in, in Luke 19, 10, it's the same word, sozo. It's that word that means to restore, to heal, deliver, save. It can mean all those different things in different contexts. Um, it's to it, it restore. Someone who brings people back will restore people. It, there's, I think, three aspects to this um, when it refers to saving a soul from death. The first is it will restore sinners into the life and goodness of God. Because what does sin do? We know sin separates us from God. It's like, I've used this illustration before. I mean, to me, it's such a simple illustration to where um, a lamp works when it's plugged into the light socket, right? And the electric current can run through that cord and you turn on the light and the light works. You unplug the cord, it's removed from that power source and it doesn't matter whether you change the light bulb or change the light socket, you can do whatever you want. You can 
But if it's not plugged into the power source, you're not going to get light. Sin separates us from God. And, and one of the beautiful things about a person that brings back wanderers is, is that, number one, it, it restores people into a relationship with God and his goodness and his grace, his mercy and his, his peace and his joy, his life. It says, to live is Christ. That's what Paul says. To live is Christ. It's to be in relationship to the source of life. And some of us are there this morning. We're, we're wandering. And maybe sometimes we forget that, that the reason we're not experiencing the joy and the life and the peace of Christ is because we're separated from him because of our sin. And that's what we as brothers and sisters are to be about. It's to be coming alongside one another and, and reminding one another of the life and the joy and the peace that is in Christ. When we come to him and we, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we're back in relationship to the one who is life. So the first thing when it says... It saves the soul from death. It, it restores sinners separated from the life and the joy and the peace. And it's bringing us back into that relationship. Number two, I think it, it, I think it refers to protecting from loss of life that is possible through sin's consequences. If you flip to Ephesians chapter 6, I think we get a, a glimpse of this. Ephesians 6 and it's actually Paul quoting back into the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, the first of the Ten Commandments, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And the promise literally back in Exodus was that if children obeyed their parents, then it would result in them enjoying long life in the land that God promised them. And what happened? We know the story. <laughs> they didn't, and they died in the wilderness, all of them, except the children that were born to them, um, because they didn't obey God's commandments. Um, and so bringing back a sinner who is wandering saves their soul from death, meaning, number one, it can restore an individual into the life and the joy and the peace that is only possible in Jesus. And we know that everything else really is super... I mean, all the other ways we try to find peace and joy and happiness, and they're fleeting. Number two, it protects. It can protect from the loss of life through sin's consequences. But ultimately, I think it, it delivers from eternal separation from God. You know, we get a beautiful example of this. If you turn to 1 Corinthians, just an amazing example of this in the life of Paul as he's writing to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, notice he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even 
The pagans do not tolerate a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and and put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing that? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, look at verse 5. It's pretty serious. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. It's almost the same wording that we see in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. And what, what Paul is saying is, is excommunicate this person so that they will feel the consequences of not enjoying the fellowship of the body of Christ and they'll experience the consequences of what it means to really live in separation instead of us like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, and sometimes we can be the worst enemies of our brothers and sisters who are wandering because instead of letting them experience the consequences of the sin, we try to cover them over and not experiencing the consequences of sin. They don't realize their need of God's grace. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's doing it in order to really restore this brother. And the reason we know that is we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you want to flip there, and we see Paul's true heart and true reason. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul writes, and he's referring back to this same man that he was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. That was the whole point. It wasn't to ostracize this guy and make him feel like condemned and and rejected, but it was for the purpose of restoring him, and it worked. Bringing back restores a wandering brother and sister into relationship with God. That's that's why it's so important to be an individual that brings brothers and sisters back. The second thing it says, and it covers a multitude of sins. Now, on the service, we think it it doesn't mean cover up. Uh, That's what condemnation does. It, it, It hides There's shame instead of the freedom that comes from transparency and knowing that a body is about grace and restoration. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Same thing, 1 Peter 4, 8. This is a good verse. It says, Above all, love one another fervently since love covers a multitude of sins. Fervent love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, and this is, I think, what it really is saying. It says, love refuses to focus on faults, but focuses on restoration. Love isn't fixated on the sin, but is focused on restoring the sinner. And You know, a beautiful example is John 8, where 
the woman is brought to Jesus in adultery. And, and you know, Jesus never focuses on her sin. What, what does he do? He says, the one who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. I mean, she'd been caught in adultery. That was undeniable. But Jesus says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And, and they all leave. And then Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. God is a God of restoration. Bringing back refuses to focus on our brothers and sisters' faults, but instead focuses on restoring them. Bringing back is being a part of God's recycling business and what is and what God is all about. I, I want to end with a a story here. The um, I guess I should look at the time. I don't wear a watch. All right. The when um, it was the story. This is a story. It's a, a modern day parable that I heard about 40 years ago when I was one. Okay, I was getting around. About 40 years ago, when I was at Biola University uh, doing my, my college, um, this modern-day parable um, was emailed to my wife by her friend who's here this morning, Barb. Um, and it's, I saw it like a week and a half ago, reminded me, and it goes beautifully with this, God is a God in the recycling business. So listen to this. It's, um, it says, on a dangerous seacoast known for shipwrecks, there was a crude little life-saving station. Actually, the station was merely a hut with one little boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the stormy sea. And with little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger as well as the lost. Many, many lives were saved by this brave band of men who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station. But in time, it became famous. Some of those who had been saved as well as others along the seacoast wanted to become associated with this little life-saving station. They were willing to give their time and energy and money in support of its objectives, so new boats were purchased, new crews were trained. The station that was once obscure and crude, insignificant, began to grow. Some of its members became unhappy that the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided, and, and so the emergency cots were replaced with lovely furniture. Handmade equipment was discarded and Sophisticated, classy systems were installed. Well, the hut, of course, had to be torn down to make room for all the additional equipment, furniture, systems. And by its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place. And its objectives had begun to shift. It was now used as sort of a clubhouse, an attractive building for public gatherings, saving lives, feeding the hungry, Strengthening the fearful and calming the disturbed rarely occurred now. Fewer members were now interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do this work. The original 
goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, though. There were still artifacts, life-saving artifacts on the walls and in the club's decorations. There was a symbolical lifeboat in the room of sweet memories. Well, about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty. Some were sick. Others were different from the majority of the club members, and the beautiful new club suddenly became messy and and cluttered. So a special committee saw to it that a, a shower house was built outside for the victims of where shipwrecks could be cleaned up and before coming inside. Well, at the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and, and all their involvement with shipwreck victims. It's too unpleasant. It hinders our social life. It's opening the doors to people who aren't like us. Well, as you'd expect, there were still some who insisted upon saving lives. Good grief. Sorry. As you'd expect, some still insisted upon saving lives. That was our primary objective. That that was their reason for existence. Well, they were voted down, and they were told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station. And so they did. Well, as the years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club, and yet another life-saving station began. And as history repeated itself, if you go to that coast, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline, operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. You know, what a tragic portrayal this could be of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, A picture of a church that is forgotten, its reason for existence, that is to be a part of God's recycling business, bringing back wanderers and restoring them to wholeness in Jesus. You know, the book of James, yes, we're called to obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's not a matter of abdicating obedience. And yet, prone to wander, right? Prone to leave the God we love. So what kind of individuals in church, the question is, will we be in the face of wandering? And we all wander. Will we be in the garbage business or the recycling business? Um, It's hard because Broken lives, like garbage, can be stinky and nasty. And kind of like the priest and the Levi in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, by far the easiest thing is to look away, walk to the other side. But as James reminds us, God is in the recycling business. God is in the business of restoring lives into relationship with him. Maybe there's some of you here this morning that, that need to be restored. Uh, you feel you're, you've been wandering, and, and this has challenged you. <laughs> I want to be back in 
relationship with Jesus. Man, I hope that you know that's what we're about. And, And there's any number of us that would love to just meet with you and pray with you and love you and lead you back to Jesus because it's by God's grace that we all are what we are. (laughs) We're all broken people needing God's recycling business. So I'd love to pray with you. There's many others that would also. But let's together be a part of restoring one another. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you. You are a God of grace. You are holy. You are righteous. But God, you, you know us. You know we're dust. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love in Jesus.